Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. Welcome back to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm truly excited today to have joining me Will Barron. Will is the host of the Salesman Podcast, which has a whopping 800,000 downloads each and every month. It's actually the first sales podcast I started listening to myself, and it was one of the inspirations for helping me build up Sam's Business Growth Show itself. Um, Will is also the founder of Salesman.org, uh, helping sales professionals get more consistent sales without all the stress. Will, how are you doing, my friend? I'm very well, Sam. You good, mate? Doing well, man. Thanks very much for joining us. There's loads I want to cover and there's loads the audience want to learn from yourself today in terms of your business growth strategies, your digital marketing insights and tips. But let's start from the top, Will. Really excited to learn your story, how you got into the business world and kind of what happened to you ever since leaving school. Cool. Uh, well, I'll, I'll quickly go through. And again, Sam, just jump in if I'm a rabbit in on mate or you want to kind of dissect a, a specific moment. But business-wise, entrepreneurship-wise, uh, first, and I know you were in Scouts as well, I was in Scouts. I was selling yo-yos in school. I was buying them on the market uh, in St. Helens up in the North UK. So you say one pound or whatever they were, and I was selling them for a couple of pounds in this big yo-yo trend that went on for probably about six months before everyone's <laughs> fingers started to go blue from having strings tied to them and bits of plastic flung around the classroom. I think they actually got banned from school because people were just hurling them at each other. Probably the lads just being idiots, myself included. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, went to Scouts the next day and a Scout leader, John Hunt, a complete legend, introduced me to the word entrepreneur. I'd never heard it before. He said, essentially, I remember it really vividly. I remember exactly where we were in, in the scout hut and then the, the conversation that we had. And he, he looked at me and he was like, well, that's, that's, well, that's very entrepreneurial of you. I was like, what, what the heck does that mean? And he explained uh, the idea of adding value to a product and selling it for more. And that's how businesses work. And so that was the, the kind of the first step of understanding that that is, you don't, that's an alternative to a job, right? Even though in a job, hopefully you're taking something, adding value to it and, and moving it on down the, the food chain, you can do all of that compressed into, into one uh, procedure and that is essentially a business. And then as your business grows, you are going to hire people, hire um, or implement different procedures and, and products and services to expand that and, and increase the value that you can add to make bigger margins and, and grow your business that direction. So from there, went to university, did a degree in chemistry, got fired from my first sales job. After that, went into medical device sales, selling um, endoscopic, so keyhole camera systems to uh, surgeons up in, well, down south in um, Essex, Cambridge, and then back up north later on, uh, just before I wrapped that up. And then moving on to the podcast side of things, because I imagine this will be the most interesting for your, your audience. Yeah, I mean, just before we get to, to the sure. present day, Will, um, like you say, we were both in Scouts, so I know all, all about that. And I was much the same, actually, when I was younger. I was kind of ducking and diving in between selling sweets at school to my friends, making a few quid until that eventually got stopped because my teacher caught wind of it and uh, put, a, put a ban to me and my friend's business. Chopping and sliding sweets. Well, that is a terrible teacher. Your teacher should have been encouraging that. There you go. I wish, wish I had your scout leader to guide <laughs> me and teach me the entrepreneurship ways, which sounds, sounds pretty cool. So you, you did that. You went to uni. Then you went into a, a job for a little while that you got fired from. If you give us a quick insight into that, what happened there? 
it was a, a job working for a chemical catalyst company. They mine, uh, refine, and then uh, produce products with platinum, palladium, gold, silver, all these precious metals, a really prestigious company. I got in there six weeks later, got sacked. Wasn't actually sure whether I'd been sacked or not because the sales manager was just so gentle when she let me go. I literally had to ring my friend, one of my good mates from home, Keith. I was like, Keith, this has just happened. I've just had this conversation. She didn't mention anything, the sales manager didn't mention anything about coming in on Monday or, you know, have a great weekend, I'll see you later. <laughs> and so uh, he introduced that I'd been sacked from that role, which probably means I was completely soft and she was trying to be gentle with me at the time. And yeah, the from there went on to other and better and bigger, greater things in the world of sales and business. But that was uh, my, that was my first kind of push into the into did, the real world. So to did speak. that push put you off sales for a little bit, Will? Kind of that, although you didn't actually know you'd been fired and you had to phone her up to check. Was that well, a bit of a crush? Or I'm a little. I don't know whether this is me being a bit dim or thick headed. But when I set my mind to something of I want to make X, and the quickest way to do that is through a sales role rather than being in a uh, whatever role they get into management and then get into, into leadership and get into a corporate position where you can you can earn you know x thousand or hundred thousand dollars pounds a year sales is obviously the quickest way to get there if you've got just a little bit of, of skill and, and and procedure behind you i was that thick-headed that one sales job getting fired getting fired from one sales job wasn't enough to stop me i then went on to the next then the next until i achieved the the goals i'd set myself Awesome, dude. So how, what was the, the story in between leading up to you setting up the Salesman podcast? What was the stepping stones? I know you did some medical device sales, which is quite a long sales cycle. Give us a quick recap of how that went for you and your ups and downs. So medical device, it, it, it sounds like a cliche. It sounds like I'm making this up. I was working in the last medical device sales role, again, really prestigious, literally the best um, within imaging, the best company within on the planet for, for medical devices. Surgeons, there was no cold calling. Surgeons would invite me in to speak to them because they wanted to be associated with this brand. They wanted me to bring in equipment. Um, and and the, the branding was so good that people wanted me to be there. And that's a lesson for any uh, you know, sales and, and salespeople specifically that are, are listening and watching that work for an organization that you'd want to buy from. Don't be going out selling crap that no one wants because you're just going to make your life difficult. So it was, it was a great job, lots of pressure because obviously if you're in a position where people want to see you, the targets just get doubled, tripled. So the, the pressure was on there. And this was before there was any social selling wasn't a thing. Social selling wasn't a, a term, but I knew that I could connect easier with these surgeons over text message, over LinkedIn, over um, even just uh, uh, like events and then getting the contact details and then chatting them over LinkedIn rather than calling them because the surgeons, they're inside a patient all day. They can't pick up, they literally can't pick up the phone. The best you'd get is a nurse would hold a phone kind of from, from outside the sterile field into the sterile field and you'd be chatting on speakerphone. Obviously that's not a productive conversation because there's 15 people in the room listening to everything that you're saying. So cold calling, and you'd have to go through a receptionist to get to them. Cold calling wouldn't work. Email, surgeons, I haven't got enough time to perform surgery each day. They don't have enough time to go through a load of emails. So email wasn't very good. But if you were texting them, they could dictate a text back to you via a nurse and you could have this quick back and forth and you get things booked in. Then with LinkedIn, a lot of these surgeons would go home and this is a stereotype, but a lot of them had a ego. So they would be on okay. LinkedIn, they'd be um, comparing themselves against others, they'd be trying to build their networks, and they'd be trying to get private work. Um, we can, I, don't, I don't know how relevant it is, but I can explain how 
the private uh, healthcare system works in the UK and how it's all just who you know. So they're doing these networking. And, and this relates to business because I was then the one that would connect these individuals together, add that layer of value, and that got me a lot of business as well. So it wasn't just the product. Um, okay. So, yeah, you, I, I, so basically you leveraged all these different ways because it wasn't you couldn't go down the traditional route of cold calling and things like that. You had sure. to work out little tips and tricks to actually get through to the decision makers, which in this case was the surgeons. So whether that was calling up, and one of the team putting you on loudspeaker, whether that was sending them a text, whether that was connecting through LinkedIn, there was all these little strategies that you worked to, to get your way through to them. Okay, so what, what happened after that? So the next step was I started to put procedures in place. I started to systematize what I was doing. Uh, again, me being this, this logical individual, um, the, you know, the, the chemistry degree, the, 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 all the hobbies and the sports, everything I've done in the past are all very logic-based activities. I'm just wired that way for you know, whatever reason. Probably creativity is down and logic is up, rightly or wrongly, good or bad. And so I started to proceduralize all of this and I started to share it with some of my sales team. And then I got everyone together, all the uh, regional sales managers, I think the sales director and the, the marketing director in a room, and I essentially pitched them social selling of engage with these individuals when you can, engage with them off, offline, essentially, well, online, but off, off away from the hospital theater. And by doing that, you can scale your activities. And there's a reasonable amount of, of evidence that's been reasonably well studied that you like people that you see often. You know, I wouldn't go as far to say as, you know, mothers and, and children have a bond because of impressions, but it's almost that way. You see there's someone every single day and you go to like them. You see it with TV celebrities. People go, oh, I bet he's a, a great dude or I'd really love to go for lunch with her. You've no idea what they're really like. You've just seen them so often and so often that they've imprinted on your brain that, um, that, that, that you have something in common. When, again, you don't know them, you never met them. They don't know you exist. So with all that said, I sat down, got everyone in a room, and everyone looked at me blind, blank stares like I was an idiot. And that was the end of it. And I thought, this is a real good opportunity to push this out into our marketplace. And in our little bubble, we can test it. It could go, it could go anywhere. And this, I just thought this was the future of selling. Before, again, um, and it was only because I was doing it. It wasn't like... Yeah, uh, so when was this, Will? What, what year was this? How, how long ago when you had this? So that ideas? was about seven years ago. Okay, so around 2013 or so. And you were basically trying to leverage all these ways to get through to these surgeons, who in your case were the decision makers. And you started thinking, let's let's use social selling. I don't know if that was a thing back then, to be fair. So you're probably one of the first people to kind of start doing that idea. And you pitched that to your the rest of your team. And did you say they bought into it? They didn't buy into it. No, they they looked at me like I was an idiot. (laughs) Oh dear. And this is this is the same time that we weren't allowed to leave product catalogues in the business. We weren't allowed to email people PDFs of, 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 the, of the product catalogs because they wanted to keep everything secure and safe. And it's basically selling in the 80s and 90s where salespeople had a leverage point. They could say, well, you have to speak to me if you want to know the price or you, you have to speak to me if you want to know, you know this dimension of an endoscope or this camera system specifications. And I could see the competitors go, no, it's, it's just information. You can Google it. You can find it online. And so they were getting a competitive advantage from that. So all of this came to a head. And where the podcast came from, uh, which is uh, where you want to go with this, is yeah, man. I Googled it. I just Googled you know, essentially how to do this. And you know, social selling, that term didn't exist. But I was Googling how to sell online, how to do this, how to get attention via the internet, how to uh, communicate with prospects, how to you know, text people and, and a prospect and get uh, what messaging we should send. And there was nothing. 
It was there was no there was no content. The, the only videos that were available on YouTube were of, and you you may know these characters, and some of them have evolved over the years, and some of them haven't. It's a dude or a woman, a dude in a horrible fitting suit from the eighties with massive shoulder pads, a woman in a power suit from the eighties with shoulder pads, lecturing via a, you know a, a whiteboard or a blackboard, telling you here's the three steps to you know manipulating Self someone success. on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> the and old school strategies. Yeah, it's just awkward. It, it's awkward. It doesn't work, and it, it didn't. It just turned me off. Every video I saw was just just absolute BS. So that's where the podcast came from because I thought there's a gap in the market. I want to learn more about all of this. I want to push okay. some of my ideas humbly in, into the marketplace and see what other people think of them, if they can be leveraged by other people. And that's where the podcast came from then. Nice, dude. So you, were, you started the podcast in the background whilst we were still doing the medical device sales? So you may or may not know this, Sam, but my, my first name is Ray. My middle name is William. So ah. I'm Will Barron on the podcast and essentially everything that I do online now because I didn't want my boss to see what I was doing. So uh -huh. online with the podcast and all the content, I was Will Barron. Offline at work, I was Ray Barron. So, so that, that's, two identities. That's, Got two it. identities because I, <laughs> I, I, was, I was embarrassed getting started because the podcast was terrible and nobody listened to it. And so I was, you know, it was, it was just embarrassing at first doing it until you, know, you get that little bit of traction and people start to care and your, your voice has just a tiny bit of an impact or you're having people on that have somewhat of an impact. So I didn't want people to see it. And it was probably the, the egos and self-esteem kind of things that have improved over the years as well. But yeah, the, I was doing both at the same time. And then the podcast started getting that little bit of traction. So I saved a bunch of money, moved in with one of my good mates uh, to keep my costs down, keep the rent essentially almost zero. Smart and then idea. that's when it all got started. Nice, man. So how long were you doing the podcast until leaving work? And how long did it take to kind of build up? What were the steps that you took along the journey? So the podcast, nobody listened to it at all. No, few people knew what a podcast was for about six months a year. So I think I was in both role. I was doing the, the business and the sales job for about six months. Okay. Um, and then probably another 18 months on top of that before anyone actually cared, before I got a sponsor. And I just was looking at this cash out in the bank, just, just my runway, just trickled down and trickled down and trickled down. And that was what gave me a kick in the ass as well to start reaching out for sponsorships and that side of things. I got a few sponsorships here and there, and it would be 250 quid for you know three months. So obviously you can't live on that. Even if you had 15 sponsors, it wouldn't be enough to live on. And it was difficult to communicate what a podcast was to these marketers. Now it's in the zeitgeist. Now everyone's, everyone's podcasting. Everyone knows what yeah, it is. A huge number. And, and, and it just wasn't back then. And it wasn't even that long ago, which is really exciting to me because I feel like video content, YouTube especially, is going to be the next podcasting. Everyone who is happy to do an audio podcast now and hide behind the microphone, it's going to take them another five years before they're happy to build a set and do YouTube content. So yeah, it was, it was a good while before anyone cared and anyone gave me any cash towards it. Yeah, and I think that's a good tip for anyone watching or listening. Um, you mentioned at the start, well, you use your two identities and you're a little bit nervous about putting out content. But I think a lot of people are the same, especially in the business to business world in terms of putting out content, be it on YouTube, be it audio on podcasts or be it on LinkedIn or any other <laughs> social network. A lot of businesses I've talked to are just scared to put stuff out there. I mean, like you said, you've got to start somewhere. And today's it's going to be rubbish. It is 100% going to be, especially with a podcast, it's going to be atrocious. Um, 
that five episodes is probably going to be okay, you know, 10 to or five to 25, and then you're going to start to get in a flow because until you do something, you don't know what you should be doing. You need to use the scientific method of a hypothesis and then a prediction one way or the other and then refining things over time before you have any idea whether what you're going to do is one, going to work, two, just actually be embarrassing. But you can always just take it down. It's not the end of the world. I'm sure there's, well, I've got all my content is still on YouTube. But for the first 100 episodes, it was just audio because I was too nervous to have my face on the screen. Then it was, um, I think from one, episode 100 to 200 or so, it was these really rubbish videos. And it was only from three, four, five hundred, uh, past kind of a couple of hundred uh, episodes that I've done that we've had the, the set and the studio and it looks a little bit more polished and looks a little bit more like I know what I'm doing. Definitely, man. The studio is looking awesome now. And like you said, I've been following you for some time. So you've definitely progressed it really nicely. So even, yeah, the, so- even the studio, right? The, I can't turn the, the map around here, but if you look at it from any other angle, this is just a spare bedroom. It, you know, it looks, it looks great from, from the, the, the front on, but it's just an absolute mess if you look at it from any other <laughs> angle. So the, the, I think that what I'm trying to say is the, there's an art element to creating content, right? And art is subjective by, to the viewer. So you can create something, you can put it out there, you can think it's rubbish, but your opinion doesn't count. If you're giving someone else value and they think it's great, and that's what counts. The, the marketplace decides whether something is good or bad, not your assumptions and not your, you know, your ego saying, well, Will's doing this and he's got a studio and I'm, I'm doing it here or this person's got that and I've, I've not got this. It's the, all you can do is put it into the marketplace and let them decide. That's a great tip as well, Will. Basically care about what your customers think or what your mm-hmm. viewers think, not what you think. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so start getting out there. Cool. Okay, so you moved out into a flat with your friend. You started doing this business. You slowly got some customers on, on the books, paying £250 or so every couple of months. Were you still working in medical device sales at this stage or had you given that up and done this full-time? The, by the time I got any sponsorships, I'd gone full-time into the, the podcast and then experimenting. So at nice. first we had a magazine, we had a blog, and the blog got a ton of traffic and then the traffic just disappeared overnight. And we weren't doing any, I say we, I wasn't doing any black hat stuff. There, there, yeah. there was no we at that point in the business. Okay. And the, 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 the blog just, just took a dive. And the only thing that people cared about was the podcast. So again, using the scientific method, I, I made a hypothesis and all these different content marketing channels that may or may not work. And salespeople are driving around all day or they're driving to, to and from work. They want that little bit of motivation. They want that training in the morning as they get to work, as, as they go walk through the door, they're, they're on the ball, they're ready, they're excited. And so people tune into the podcast. You, obviously, you're not watching a video or you shouldn't be watching a video as you're driving. And so that's why the video element of it all came later on. Yeah, makes sense. So how did you scale it from that side of things, Will? How did you scale it from having a couple of customers that are paying a few hundred GBP pounds per month to, to building it up to what it is now? What were the steps that you took? How did you market it? I wish there was a, a better answer. Just putting my head down, recording more, getting better, putting more content out there. If you think of it like a, a sales funnel, the more content that exists with your face, your brand, we've always used this specific branding of red in all the content, the website and the sales.org and the, the training that we do there as well. And so that kind of tied into things, but we just was consistent, put out content and just, just scaled it through sweat equity. <laughs> there, there's no, we worked with HubSpot, we worked with Salesforce, they give us a couple of breaks. They awesome. essentially 
funded some, they, they did some of the biggest sponsorships, which allowed me to then to do Facebook advertising to promote the live events that, or the live podcasts that we were doing at events. And that drove a little bit more traffic and attention. But in reality, it was just doing five, 600 episodes of the show. Yeah. And to actually reach out so those are some big brands, well, especially HubSpot. Um, so those are some great software companies that you did live events and you've been sponsored by, so that's awesome. So were there particular ways that you reached out to these companies or did they come inbound? Did they see the content that you were putting out consistently and did they reach out to you? Well, tell us a little bit more about that. With HubSpot, I think they reached out to sponsor a video and then I explained that you know, between you know, 200 and you know, 1,000 people watch the video side of things, but between 20 and 30,000 people listen to the episodes. And so it was a, it was an inbound conversation, but then it, I scaled it and upsold them to a, a bigger project. And then they didn't end up actually sponsoring the main podcast at all. Then we started doing these live events where we went to San Francisco, Chicago, down to London, went around Europe, and I did uh, massive sales events. I had my own little booth and I'd do uh, interviews with the sales experts at these different events. They'd have Amazing. the logos all over the background. And I think from the first two HubSpot events, I can't remember the numbers for the rest of them because it scaled up, but we were doing about a million views per, um, per event, per wow. what they paid for over you know, the actual podcast content. And then the, that, that's not including the audio, that's just the video. So I took a percentage of the revenue that they drove to the business uh, sponsoring the show and I did Facebook ads promoting the video content itself. So we we're doing about a million okay. uh, views on YouTube and Facebook per event and their logo was just spread all over the place. Yeah, so yeah. they were getting super targeted content. And of course, they could then work with me. I could swear on the show. I could say things that they can't say with their, their brand um, that they might want to say, but there's, <laughs> there's corporate uh, you know elements and, and guidelines that are all in place. So I could share a ton of value. I could be more real about it. I could be essentially an employee that's not employed and get them a ton of attention. And so that's how that came about. That's awesome, dude. That sounds like a salesman and a uh, content creator's dream, traveling the world, mm-hmm. interviewing leaders, and just, just having fun whilst doing it and making money, of course. So that sounds, that sounds the dream. So, okay, you mentioned Facebook ads. So what strategies have you been using in your business, Will? To, to grow it. I know before we, we started the show, you, you mentioned to me email marketing, but tell us a bit more about the strategies you've harnessed and how they've worked for you. So what is working at the moment? We, we, we've experimented with everything you can possibly imagine. Myself and now that we've got a team, uh, I've been through it. What's working really well at the moment is we have a pretty big email list, about 100,000 people on there now. We've segmented the list uh, via open rate, via location, via time zone, essentially via location the best we can. And Every week, I send out an email to a specific group of these individuals who are opening emails regularly and are paying attention, and I offer them a private live chat. So they can come into a, 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 a we use, what do we use now? Uh, webinar Jam, I think it's called. Okay. I just log in, we've got all the streaming gear here in the studio, and they can just ask me questions. So a, a private webinar or a private Q&A chat, we call it, and we get a high percentage of those individuals then see what I'm writing on the board, all the content I'm giving them, I answer all their questions, you know, the best I can and the best the team can, and then they sign up for our training product. So that is a super direct way of giving a ton of value, getting a ton of attention, you know, for someone to sit down for an hour or two hours at scale. Now it's one thing for me to get on the phone and, and do, you know, a strategy session with each of these individuals. I can only do, you know, eight, 10 a day at max. But we're grouping these individuals into between, we're experimenting between 25 and 50 people in the room. 
answering yeah. all the questions, they're having a great time. You can see them all bantering in between each other uh, as well and, and, and conversing and making their own connections. And then we get a ton of people sign up at the end of it for the, for the product as well. Awesome. So email marketing, you're basically doing highly segmented email marketing by mm -hmm. the sounds of it, um, all based upon data, um, locations and more. So in terms of um, how someone could get started on email marketing, well, for any businesses that haven't actually dipped into that, are there any tips or insights you could give for anyone thinking about dabbling in? So the first element is clearly building a list. So you've either got to have deep pockets to use paid advertising, then you've uh, let's go down the funnel of it, I guess. You've got to either use paid advertising or free content. Free content is slow, cheap, scalable. Paid ads are <laughs> crazy, from my experience anyway, crazy expensive, especially if you've got a long sales cycle and you can't, um, you, you can't kind of get recoup any cash on the front end. That's something we're experimenting with at the moment with a more traditional Facebook ad to a webinar to get people to sign up to the product on the front end. Uh, trying right. to get, we're trying to get to break even on that. We're not far off. Um, yeah, obviously, okay. if you get to break even there, you can just build a. You can build the unlimited list. It never ends as long as your Facebook ad cost as you scale don't increase too much to knock off the uh, the ratio of breaking even. So going down the two pipelines, you've got paid ads. I'm not an expert in paid ads. I enjoy fiddling around with it. Um, we could probably do it some point soon in the business, looking at hiring a, a legitimate media buyer because the the spend that we're getting to now is getting to the point where it, it, I I could I'm not going to bankrupt the company, but I could lose a load of money uh, by making a few uh, wrong turns with things. It's easily but, done without an expert. But our hundred thousand um, list, eighty nine percent of that came from free content, releasing the podcast, giving oh, wow. giveaways in the podcast. Um, using the podcast to drive people to a website, which people don't do very well. Uh, one of the best people I've ever seen do this is a guy called Ben Greenfield. He has a, a, a health and fitness podcast and every episode he does incredible show notes and every single episode I find myself going to whatever his website is forward slash, you know, whatever the podcast title is yeah. and going through all the notes and there's loads of comments on there. It's, there's almost a, there's almost a chat box at the end of it with all the comments. He does really well considering comments aren't what they used to be on blogs anymore. So for the, the free side of things and the content side of things, what we've excelled at and what we've done well at over the years is pushing people to the website, not using weird, you know, boring eBooks of top 10 tips to do X, Y, Z. That's what I was going to ask. Cause that yeah. is quite a common theme, isn't it? In terms of when was the last time you opted into something like that, Sam? Myself, I can't even remember, dude. Actually, yeah. I tell you what, starting this podcast, there was one a shout out to Colin Gray because he got me into the podcast side of things. He offered a really insightful kind of daily learning curve on podcasts, which did help me out at all. But that mm -hmm. was only because I was directly interested in setting up a podcast. Apart from yeah. that, I couldn't tell you the last time I signed up to a white paper to mm -hmm. download. So have you got any advice for anyone on a hook that they can get people interested in to actually give your data and give them your um, email? Will? Yep. What we do, what we've had success in is a podcast episode on a specific subject. That's your, the front end of the funnel. We break that into video, audio, clips of video that go out on Instagram, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, other places. We get those clips. We share them with the guest on the show. We subtitle them so that they can share them with their audience uh, really succinctly and easily. That's the front end of the funnel. All that pushes traffic to salesman.org forward slash 259 or whatever the podcast episode is. We do pretty crappy show notes in all honesty but once you've got people on the page then we do an opt-in specific to that episode so okay. that you know episode on 
social selling or whatever it is, we'll then have a 10-step breakdown with extra clips from the video. And uh, you know, it seems like a lot of work up front, but clearly once you've done it once, it's up there forever. That's the, the, the genius behind it all and the scalability side of things. And that's how we built our list. Very simply, I wish it was more complicated and sophisticated than that, but it's good content up front and then good follow-up content after the fact, which then leads us into the, the email marketing and the actual funnel itself. Awesome. So putting out the content and then following up on it and working it from there. Awesome, dude. So would you say email and kind of paid ads like Facebook ads has been the main driving force to grow your business over the last few years in terms of the digital perspective? Email, content to email until this year. This year, I'm really trying to scale things. So that's where the paid ads side of things come in. Our growth has just been this straight line. So number of podcast downloads versus uh, revenue has just been a straight line for, for the past five, six years. So now is when I'm really doubling down on the paid side of things to see if we can really ignite this and scale it because we've got good cash reserves. And we've not, I just feel like we're not taking enough risk over the past 12 months or so. So this is where the, the paid side of things is coming in. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Have you taken many risks over your business career so far, Will, in terms of this business? So it depends how you look at it. So I am now, humbly or not, a pretty freaking good salesperson. I could go, I could get a job in an instant. I could, I could go to HubSpot or Salesforce and they'd hire me probably to do the marketing side of things rather than sales now. So I always look at things in a, 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 one, a one day, five day window. One day, can I survive till tomorrow? Yeah. So there's not that big of a risk then. You know, I'm not going to war. I'm not saying anything that's going to get me locked up. I'm not doing anything. I'm not being dodgy with my taxes or anything like that. So there's not that many one-day risks. Five-year risks, I don't think there's that many risks either because I can always just get a sales job. I will, so there will always be salespeople. And again, a lot of these tech companies would hire me to do marketing now because I've, I've, I've done more with our marketing with no budget than what they've done with you know, millions of dollars of budget. I was going to say, team. content creation or marketing must be your bag now, even though yeah. you say you're, you're a good salesman as well. So it's, Yeah, for, for sure. So So... That's the context there. That that's how I can. That's how I brainwash myself that what I'm doing isn't risky. The reality of it is, if I'd just been working in a sales role, I'd have probably earned 100 grand a year for the past five six years, and I'd have been just fine. Um, so you had to describe it. The first three or four years, I earned basically peanuts. So the risk was far on the side of just get a job, plod along, you're doing great um, and, and, and you're fine. It's only now that things are starting to scale way above that, that the risk has paid off. So I don't think it's risky. I don't think, you know, as long as you can pay your bills, yeah, as long sense. as, you know, when I first started, as I said, I moved in with my mate. I didn't have a car because I always had company cars before that in the sales role. So there wasn't that many things. I didn't have any... Um, I'm in a you know, long-term relationship, but I wasn't married or anything. There's no kids. I didn't have a dog. So the timing always, was right then by the sounds of it. It was good. Like, it was good and I engineered the timing. It wasn't, sure. it wasn't fluke. You know what I mean? I, I set everything up very purposefully to reduce my risk so that I could take what is perceived a risk, which, which is start a business. But if you're not crap at running businesses, it's not that much of a risk anyway. Sure. And it sounds like you're saying they're mapping out what you're going to do, making sure the timing is sensible is, is quite a good insight and tip to, to give everyone watching or listening. So Will, are there any particular highs or lows that you could give us some more insight into in your, in your business so far? Any, any big, big highs or lows? The biggest high, do you know what? That's a good question. And as revenue grows, my, um, 
how satisfied I am with things and this is going to be an issue scaling. If I choose to scale the business in the future, how satisfied I am goes up as well. There's not been any huge wins. There's not been any, any huge losses. There's not been any huge mistakes. It's just because it's bootstrapped because it's just me. Or well, it was just me for the first three or four years. Now I think there's eight of us now on the team all working remotely. Great. We're just plodding along. And as long as I see month on month growth, I'm happy with things. So there's other than there's no, the business is a business. I don't, I, I don't, I don't allow myself to indulge in it any further than that from the perspective of huge wins and getting excited about things. Maybe I should, maybe this is a um, testament to your interview skills here, Sam. Maybe I should celebrate things a little bit more, <laughs> but, I, but I, I tend to not. And I tend to just get my head down, plod along. And my big wins, uh, you know, friends, family, events, seeing things, doing things and, and experiences, as opposed to the business is the thing that fuels all that as opposed to uh, anything more so. Great, man. And what were the lows? Maybe when it was struck, the business was struggling a little bit when you first started out, was that some of the low points or not? I've had zero money in my account many times over the past um, you know, five, six years that we've been in business. Just, just nothing. Like not being able to pay the rent unless I get a deal done this month, not being able to go on this holiday or this trip unless I get a deal done this month. And I always managed to pull it out. Now, the flip side of that is that if I was constantly on the verge and distressed and constantly worried, I probably would have earned more money because I would have pulled it out more often. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the lows, I don't know, man. The, the lows aren't insurmountable. For, for me anyway, as I said, I didn't have any real responsibilities. There was, you know, I could, I could have got another sales job. Um, uh, you know, the, the term BATNA, best alternative to negotiated agreement. I always had a BATNA of job, uh, career marketing, whatever it was on the back of things. I was almost just proving to the marketplace that I could do this. And that allowed me then to, to reduce the risks and no, limit the it. highs and limit the lows. But you were super passionate about it too, right? In terms of creating up content. So it's something you love doing. It's something you enjoy doing. You got to mix sales. You got to mix creating content, doing videos. So it sounds like a win-win-win. For sure. I wouldn't, you can't run a business if you're not in, at least interested in one specific element. You can hire out the parts that you're not interested in. But even then, before you hire, you've got to have mastered it because no one that you hire is ever going to be as interested as what you are. They're not, an, most of the time, they're not an owner. They don't, they don't care. They want to go home after the fact and go and walk the dog and play with the kids. So unless you are interested and passionate, which clearly I am, I enjoy having these conversations if I, well, I wouldn't be in sales if I didn't enjoy talking and chatting and communicating and asking questions. So, so awesome. yeah, that, that's, that's, I guess that's where the, uh, the fun side of things comes in. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end, but have you got any golden nuggets or tips of advice that you could give to anyone that's thinking about starting a business or anyone that's recently started a business on just, just how they should be doing things, just any pieces of advice that you've learned along the way that can really help them out? Well, I guess to sum up what I just said then, Sam, the nugget is to just have the steps in your ladder set or not in stone. You want to experiment. You want to use the scientific method. You want to make hypothesis and you want to experiment with different things, but you want to know where you're going. Otherwise you're never going to get there. And you've got to be happy, especially when you start now, especially I've got no experience with, you know, with VC funding or seed funding or anything like that. But if you're bootstrapping things, you've got to be happy just to put your head down for two or three years with no, no one cares about what you're doing. Nobody's listening to what you're saying. The marketing's not going out to anywhere. And you've got, you've got to, I hate the word hustle because it's, it's well overused and you, yeah. you can hustle and, and do stupid stuff like post on Instagram and not, uh, we've had zero success on Instagram. We've only got like 30,000 subscribers on there and it's just a complete, I wish not have done anything with Instagram. It's a complete waste of time. 
So you've got to you've got to pick your battles, and you've got to be prepared to two or three years earn nothing, get your head down, reinvest everything back into the business, and just plod along. Just no excitement, no ups and downs. Just keep plodding until people then eventually will have to take you seriously. Keep going, just keep going, keep doing it. Don't stop. By the sounds of it, get your head down and, and put sure. hard graft in. Cool, man. Is there one tip in terms of digital marketing that you could give? advice to anyone listening any business any sales rep any sales professional is there just one digital marketing channel that you can say this is the one to be on whether it be email whether it be paid ads what would you say youtube youtube is all that matters over the next five to ten years nothing else matters my dad and i use him as the benchmark of all of this he doesn't google things anymore he youtubes them and he's he's old and doesn't know how to use the internet doesn't have facebook you cannot market to him on facebook he's not on there but He's, he's uh, fixing out his garage at the moment to build it into a, a woodworking shop. He's buying some saws. He didn't Google which saw is best at XYZ. He went on YouTube and looked for someone who had the saw in front of them, who could give a legitimate review, who wasn't not necessarily even an employee of the, the company or the organization, but a, an influencer, someone that can give an unbiased review. So if you're working for, you know, if you're in digital marketing right now and you're not producing YouTube content, if you get, if you get the right, um, content, which is great in the right thumbnail and the right title, YouTube will do paid advertising for you. It will push your content out to thousands, if not millions of other people. You can't pay for that. You well, you yeah. pay tens, if not hundreds of thousands of, of dollars on Facebook to get that kind of attention. And so there's no other platform like it. Google isn't proactively pushing your blog out to the world. YouTube is proactively pushing it. And as I said, people were scared of being on podcasts and being on audio. Then they got over it. Now people are scared of being on video. Uh, they don't want to show the face. The, maybe some people don't want to have their face associated with the brand that they're working for forever. And so people aren't doing a lot of YouTube content. It seems like there's tons of content out there, but there really isn't. And over the next five to 10 years, that is the, uh, the place to be going. And then there'll be something else after that. That's an awesome tip, man. And like you say, YouTube's owned by Google, so that makes sense. And the fact that you can really harness down the search results to keyword basis, just like Google do in, in terms of search end optimization, mm-hmm. and you can optimize your video with the descriptions, with the thumbnail. That's a great tip. That's a great piece of advice. All right, Will. Um, everyone, you've been listening to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we interview business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and their tips and insights to help you grow your business. Will, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, for having a positive influence in your career and your business. Who would that be and why? Well, we'll go back to the beginning of the show. John Hunt, my scout leader. I've not seen him in a while. Uh, we used to go every now and again, go camp it, just go bivvying, just go and jump in a, a bag and jump in a bush at this local <laughs> scout campsite. So there you go. I'm going to reconnect with him and uh, thank him again for his, uh, for his influence over the years. But yeah, my scout leader who introduced me to the, the word entrepreneur. Top John, that man. All right, Will, how can everyone connect with you? Tell us a little bit about, more about your business. Just head over to uh, salesman.org. Everything's on there. There's tons of free content. There's 600, 700 odd podcast episodes. Uh, we do sales success training. It's all on there. You can Google me, Will Barron. And uh, if you don't find me, you're doing something wrong. Thanks so much, Will. The show is sponsored by webchoiceuk.com, providing results-driven digital marketing, conversion-focused websites, and mobile application development. Be sure to like and subscribe if you enjoyed or pop, comment below. Will, thank you, dude. You're welcome. I'm glad to come on. I really enjoyed it, Sam. And I'll give you this. I do have to shoot in a second. But everyone who's listening, 
I was not planning on doing any podcast interviews, uh, being interviewed in 2020. I've, I've just got too much stuff on. As I said, we're scaling these with the paid ads and the webinars and the business growing. I'm looking to hiring a couple of people as well. Sam followed me around the internet, gave a ton of value and didn't accept no for an answer of, you know, politely, of, of, for, for me to come on his show. And so Sam, well done, mate. You've got me on here. This is probably the only interview I'm going to do over the next 12 months or so. And so just kudos to you, mate. And uh, well done with all of that. <laughs> Thanks, man. I didn't expect to get you on, actually. I was expecting to wait here. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, Sam. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales, and business growth tips from the experts.